All right, what is up, everybody? We are back. This is episode 13, and we have our friend Ryan Williams on the show. As always, I want to start by saying thank you for making time and coming on. This was quite a bit of coordinating, um, but appreciate you making the time. Yeah, it's really cool to see the setup here. Thank you. Thank you. We're still we're still getting settled in with it. But uh, um, Alan, Alan, because of scheduling, couldn't make it today. But me and Serge are pumped. I down. I selfishly have a lot of questions. Um, I followed you and we met a a ways back. So I selfishly have a lot of stuff I want to talk about and um, get on the record with far away. (laughs) Sweet, man. Um, made A lot of mistakes. I'm here to share. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, I think we all do. Um, We always start like, I know you're a San Diego guy. I know you live down the street. I know your business is here. Um, Do you you grow up here? You're native? No, I I grew up in mostly Northern California. Um, But I went to high school and I went to high school and Five different high schools in three different states. I didn't graduate any of them. I dropped out of high school halfway through my senior year. So I just ended up here because I joined the Navy in 97. Okay. And where I was stationed was here. And I was like, there is no better place in the world. <laughs> Five different high schools. Yeah. I mean, was it sounds it, dramatic. But was, there it was, a re- really was it family moving or was it you just, you, did you get kicked out of high schools or? It was a combo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but mainly, yeah, my mom decided that she was through with California moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. So I went to uh, went to school out there for a little bit. Um, went to school in uh, Bellingham, Washington, with my dad, and then a couple schools in California. Um, yeah, I ended up dropping out uh, yeah, halfway through my senior year out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh man, Wait, was your family was a military family? No. So what what brought uh, Navy or what brought that into your world? Oh, the Navy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or just military so, in general. Like, what? how did that come about? Yeah, well, it's funny. Like, I was never... My mom is, like, super hippie, and my dad was, like... Like, we were just not a military family at all. It never even crossed my mind. And when I dropped out of high school, I remember <laughs> the guidance counselor, principal, whatever it was, told me, he's like, man, you're never going to... If you drop out of high school, you're never going to join the military. I'm like, dude, I don't care. Like, I'm... <laughs> like, whatever, bro. I'm leaving, you know? Yeah. And, um... <clears throat> It wasn't until a couple of years later that I went to like I went to Havasu and was a jet ski bum for a while. I went to Mammoth as a snowboard bum for a little bit, and then that put me at like nineteen, and I was back at my mom's house in Santa Fe, thinking like, dude, I'm nineteen years old. Like, I haven't done shit. I haven't finished anything. I'm like, I'm just kind of bouncing around. Like, what what do I want to do with my life? Who am I as a person? Kind of like, where do I fit in on totally. you know, in the world? So I, I uh, got on the Google machine, which is like, you know, this is 97, 96, 97. So like the internet was like just, just barely <laughs> yeah, being. Yeah, yeah. So I found some info and I just tried to find the hardest thing I could find to do. And um, the two hardest things I could find were Navy SEAL training and climbing Mount Everest. And I didn't have like 50 grand to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll go try to be a Navy SEAL. Um, it was no, like, it wasn't like a uh, patriotic thing. There was no war back then. Yeah. It was just like, I, I want to find out who I am as a person. And um, I researched a lot, read a lot of books and had a lot of respect for um, Navy SEALs. So I was like, you know, 19 year old kid. I'm like, I, I want to find out who I am and I want to respect myself as much as I respect those guys. And that was my, you know, impetus for going. That was my, my main reason. Once I got there and things totally changed, I realized like, you know, really what I was getting into and how cool it was. And that became its own mission and driver within that. Um, but I, I had no idea going into like what it was going to be. 
totally. Yeah, that's that's why I went in the military. I spent ten years there. Got out. What do you think? Because you you know you said you were you're jet ski bum, a snowboard bum, the dropped out of high school, and then all of a sudden you had. I mean, that's a total one eighty where your mind thinks. Now I want to do the hardest thing, or or at least attempt one of the hardest things possible. What 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 triggered you to start thinking? Well, I think like you life life is hard in general, right? So like growing up was not easy, and then I had like no friends growing up, and you know leaving leaving high school and making that decision wasn't easy. Most people don't. It would have been easier just to continue, um, and then moving across country at seventeen with mm. no no money, no parents, no guidance, no, no nothing. That's, that's hard too. So I was just, it was just an escalation of doing hard things, but I never really thought of them as hard at the time. So mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I'd kind of been inoculating myself to, to become used to doing hard, uh, kind of obtuse. Yeah. Yeah. Until I got there and I realized that what I'd been training myself for was, would fit very well with the expectations of, uh, seal training so it's not like it was easy it was hard as fuck but um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that, that that's the selfish part of me because i definitely want to get into questions about like the specifics on that but before that did you have like growing up even through those hard times in high school or earlier in high school did you have the signs now looking back did you have signs of like someone who was like now that you've been through navy seal training like were you that kid growing up who was like the risk taker, the daredevil, like stuff like that, that were, that were like the early signs of it? No, man. Like I didn't even do team sports. Like I, the most sporty I ever got was I was on the badminton team and I didn't even make varsity. I was on the JV. <laughs> the fuck out of here. Team sport Get out of here. That was it. Um, I took <laughs> tap and jazz in junior high. I was like, not like in no way would you take a snapshot of me at like, you know, middle school and junior high, high school and say like, this dude's going to Navy SEAL. Like, Absolutely not. I was like the opposite. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever met someone who's played badminton. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't very good either. You knew I was a team in high school. <laughs> so what of all the sports when you saw like, oh, there's basketball, there's football, there's soccer, you decided badminton. Uh, it was just, it was just there and it was fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, but I didn't, I didn't like team sports. Um, I didn't oh, like I got the you. feeling of people relying on me. Um, I still remember getting like struck out and like we were playing some PE game right and we're playing like some other school and like it was whatever the term i don't even know baseball it was like bottom of the ninth or whatever and like i'm trying like trying my hardest to like swing and like get on base or hit a home run and i totally struck out like the last dude and like mm. basically the game was on me and i was the last guy to get struck out i felt like such shit oh my God. <laughs> i suck like everybody hates me this is terrible and i'm like i'm never doing team sports Oh, I just was never. That's fair. I never into it. I can understand that. So did you? Did you get a lot of pushback or any blowback from like parents or anything when you said, "Hey, I'm 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 just done with high school"? Um, no, my mom was super liberal, so she she totally understood. Um, and I didn't. I dropped out because I went to so many different schools. My credits wouldn't transfer. Mm. So they told me after my first semester that I would have had to go back and redo my first semester over again. Well, my I, I don't want to do that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, then you're not going to graduate. I'm like, well, why am I bothering doing the second half of the semester if you're not going to graduate in me anyway? Mm-hmm. And they're like, eh. Good, like, well, good point. Yeah, I was like, fine, <laughs> I'm leaving then, you know? Yeah. And um, thankfully, my mom has always been super supportive, like kind of walking your own path. Totally. Um, so I, it, I honestly, it never even occurred to me to follow like, mm-hmm. the normal. 
Yeah, I have a I have a certain opinion. We've talked on the podcast with other people about uh, you know looking back on their education, whether it's high school or college, does it roll over into what they're doing now? And and do you think do you think it would influence or change anything different for you? Maybe had you done that, or even if you decided, hey, I'm going to go to college, because I personally look back and I'm like, I think maybe the experience and the people I met, but as far as like my skill set, I don't really, I don't think yeah. it it would change too much. You know, whether I did or did not do it. You know, I, I thought about going to college, um, but I, I absolutely hated high school. Mm-hmm. Like, the, um, the social aspect of it, the homework, excuse me, the, the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I hated the idea of homework in general. So, I didn't, I didn't mind school. It's like, okay, this is, this is my basically job as a kid. I got to go to school. But now you're giving me homework and you're impeding on my time. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. So I, ne- I never did homework. Like I basically never did homework my entire time. And I would go in and do okay on the test because I'm not a total idiot. Um, but I never did homework because so I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. And so that carried with me a few years after high school. And I always thought like, oh, maybe I'll just get over it in a couple years and then I'll think about going to college. But then I thought, you know what? Okay, what am I really going to get out of college? And I didn't have any money. So it would be my parents paying for it. I'm like, dude, I, I it's gonna. It'll be a great time, right? Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll have a great time, but I can't see myself doing anything that there's a degree for that I'm really gonna need in the future. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never did it, and I never lost that hatred of homework. Yeah, yeah. So like, even to this day, I've never done a college course or any of that stuff because I, I just, I, I literally, even now, the thought of homework just. Like makes me so angry at the system, dude. This might make you on my free time. This might make you angrier or happier. One of our partners has a kid in elementary school, and their school (laughs) doesn't. There's no more homework. Oh, that's awesome. Good for that. (laughs) Yeah, and I said like, wait, 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 no fucking way. I don't know how. I don't know how far that goes because my sister has a, a teenage daughter in Arizona, and I know they still have homework. But he's like, no. I think it's also too. He's kind of goes to. Not a hippie-ish, but kind of a hippier type school yeah. where they also don't have assigned desks. When you get there, they oh, want wow. you to choose where you sit every day oh and gosh. not be told where to sit. And when they don't want you to take you to take your school or homework home with you, they want you to enjoy home, which in a lot of ways I respect. Interesting. And then he also, the one that really fucking gets me, is they don't keep score in his in his uh, games oh, that he plays in, in soccer yeah, yeah. or all that. So, he, and he's a really competitive dude. So they literally yeah, go to the parents must, on the sideline. Like, <laughs> awesome. We scored a, scored a goal. What the fuck? No, there's no score, no winner, no nothing. Yeah, see, I think so it's a different I, time. Like, I don't, I think the no homework thing. I mean, I don't know the metrics on it. Cause I'm, I'm an outlier. Right? I know that about myself. So it might be good for most people might not be good. I don't, I don't know. So I don't have much of an opinion on that, but dude, I think you really do kids a disservice if you don't prepare them for the real world. And, there is a score in the real world and you, you are judged on your performance and your merits and what, how valuable you are to your team. And I think to kind of rob them of that is, is they're really going to have problems when they get in the real world and mm-hmm. think that like, I'm just going to go through life and float and like things are going to be handed to me. Like, no man, it doesn't, you can't form the world to this artificial mm-hmm. kind of thing that you're creating in this, totally. this closed environment. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think those kids are going to have real problems when they get I agree. That's or it might whole, be great. I don't know. That's a whole, that's a whole other podcast in itself because I'm not a parent, but I, I have I have like real specific feelings on that. But that's also a good segue to like you know you you getting um, entering into the Navy because I, I I have a I'm, I'm definitely infatuated and I I've, I've either read read mainly or heard guys' stories, but I never got to be, be able to sit with someone and talk about their experience and 
and definitely wanted to hear from like start to finish how that really shaped you into where you are now. Cause I'm sure it played a lot of role in your, your discipline and your direction towards starting a business, running a business, getting through the bad, the good. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of people have the misperception of the teams that, um, you learn a lot in there. I think it, it gives you a lot of experience, right? Mm -hmm. But I, th the reality of it is going through there, being in the teams with, you know, hundreds and, and, and thousands of, you know, brothers in there, um, and being an instructor for a long time, it's not that it changes you. It's that it attracts a certain type of person that already has these traits in them. And then it gives them an outlet and an avenue to, to use them. But those people that have those traits would have been successful in, in almost anything they would have chosen. So a lot of like my other entrepreneur friends are, you know, way more successful than me. Um, they have the same traits, mm. they have the, the exact same mindset that a lot of my team guy friends have where like, this is the mission. This is what we're doing this is where we're going and we're going to figure it out and, you know, get creative solutions to these complex problems and apply it and, you know, just, it's the same mentality. So I don't think that I really learned a whole lot of applicable stuff um, from that job, um, but it did instill in me um, a sense of confidence. And it, it is it is a good backstory. It, mm -hmm. it does provide a good like context mm -hmm. for who I am, but it didn't it didn't like create me. You know, what I, mean? yeah, yeah. I was I was already kind of on my way to this type of person before that. Um, it just that was the avenue that, that I fell into. Did, did it, uh, I mean, did you have, while you were in SEAL training, while you were SEAL, did, was that when you started having the thoughts of the business, your first business you started or getting into business? No, or? not at all. I was 100% just trying to be the best team guy I could. Didn't, mm. didn't even occur to me to do anything else, um, like at all. Uh, that was from when the Navy in 97, I got out in 2008, and... It wasn't until about 2006, 2007, where I was contemplating what I was going to do after, because there's enlistments, so you got to do like, you know, either your first one's usually six years, and then there's either four years or six years, you can sign up for blocks of time, but you have to choose, you can't just like wake up one day and be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave. So you have to kind of plan ahead on when, what you can do, whether you're going to stay in or get out. So uh, a friend of mine who's an instructor as well, he was getting out about the same time. We're both like, you know, partying PB and hanging out together. We're roommates. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to stay in. We're going to get out. He's like, well, I don't know. What do you want out of life? You know? And, and um, mm -hmm. I was like, it, at that point, some things had happened in the teams. I was pissed about. So I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm over it. I'm going to get out and do something else. And I realized, like, I'm never going to do the experiences I want to have cost money. Like, I want, I want to go, uh, right, like, take my family on a jet and land on a fucking, you know, huge-ass yacht and go in the Caribbean for a week. Hell yeah. Right? Right, yeah. But, that, <laughs> but you can't just, like, oh, I want to do it and it happens. Yeah. Like, it needs money. I want to go, uh, you know, like, literally any experience you have other than, like, living in a van and mm -hmm. traveling the world, um, it's going to cost a certain amount of money. So the things that I like and the experiences I want to have in my life cost money. So by default, I need to create something that, that makes money. Mm. And that was really like my whole goal in that 
Um, things have you know morphed a lot since then, but that was my whole goal in getting out. Was like, okay, I'm I'm tired of this. I'm pissed off about some things. I don't want to do this anymore. What else can I do? Sure. And that started on like you know, what where do I go in business? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like from ground zero. Is 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 the getting out? Well, first off, is the getting out difficult? And when you're out, is there a a sense of like missing? Because I'm sure there's a level of community and there's a routine you get in. And you were in 10, over 10 years, 10 years? Yeah, just like 10 and a half years, yeah. Yeah, is there, is there, is it hard getting out, like, the process? And then did you have that, like, was there any remorse? Um, or was there any, that missing feeling? Cause, you know, like, I've had a couple of my buddies back home. His dad just retired as a captain in the fire department. And and as that was his career. That was his community. That was his team. That was everything. He, he definitely has that. Even though he's like, I'm, I'm retirement age. I'm ready. But there was like that. I'm, I'm missing it. Yeah, for, I mean... That that place, everybody has a very unique experience getting in and a very unique experience getting out. Mm. Um, so for me, I haven't missed it for a second, not a fucking mm. second. Um, that's because I was already pissed off when I was getting out. It was a bunch of politics and stuff that I was mm. angry at the leadership about. Um, the only thing that I did miss was the guys, you mm. know, um, but then again, like it, like I said, it's it's a very similar mindset and character traits and personality to high level entrepreneurs. So now I'm in uh, another group called the Arite Syndicate, and dude, it's it's literally like the same types of people. That's really cool. Yeah. So I, I had a you know a couple years gap there where I, I wasn't say I was lonely, but I definitely felt like I was uh, not lonely, but I was alone on my mm-hmm. path. But now. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't feel alone anymore. I feel like I, I belong. Yeah, yeah. In that's sense. And um, it's really helped me kind of uh, realize that I was on the right path. I just need. I just felt like I was freaking crazy because mm-hmm. I'm the only one who's thinking this. And I want to go do this. And I'm thinking big. And everybody's like, oh, just play it safe. Oh, you, <laughs> well, yeah. oh, it's good. It's good enough. And it's like, fuck that, dude. I don't want to do good enough. I don't want to do yeah. mediocre. I want to go fucking crush it and destroy and build and create this massive fucking thing. Yeah. And um, those are the only people I've found that, that really understand that at that level. But it's it's the same mentality as, as team guys. So for me, um, I'm glad I found that. Uh, but I think everybody's transition out is a unique journey. A lot of guys miss it. But I, here's the thing. It has to do with your identity. Yeah, definitely. So for me, my identity was never being a Navy SEAL. Like I was, I was Ryan and I, I was a Navy SEAL, but it was never Navy SEAL Ryan. So mm-hmm. when I got out, it was easy for me to kind of still be myself, but I saw a lot of dudes that not just, not just team guys, but a lot of dudes in the military, uh, they lose themselves. They lose their sense of identity within the military structure. So they have a really hard time when they get out because they don't know who they are anymore. Mm-hmm. They, they've kind of encased themselves in the shell of like, I'm this person, I am, this defines me. And then when they get out and they don't have that anymore, they, they don't have a shell, they don't have um, a sense of self or identity anymore, and they really uh, they really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, I don't know, I'm, I'm an outlier. I think weird things. Um, but I think the average person, uh, that's definitely a, a key point that they struggle with. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that's a really great point. I'm sure that that's the majority of guys. That's their identity and yeah. and... And I don't know, is there something you can put your finger on as to how like you were, were different? Cause that's, 
plays a big role in your exiting and, and moving on and, and yeah. keeping the momentum going. You know what, man? I've, I've thought about that a lot. And the more I think about it, the more I realize I'm, dude, I've just been weird since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember when I was, <laughs> it sounds odd, but like, <laughs> I was in like fourth or fifth grade. And I've always been super robotic and Vulcan and like just numbers driven and not very emotional or, or uh, into people, basically. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand. Well, I didn't understand. People. I had like no friends. Growing Say it up. like it is, man. Well, I never, I never lived any place in my entire life longer than two years. Yeah. Even to this day, I've, I've, I moved every single year. Um, but I remember in like fourth or fifth grade, I was sitting in class and the teacher had us do some assignment, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, how is this going to help me in my life and my future? I've decided I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I just put my feet up on the desk. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I didn't think I wasn't doing it to like prove a point. I was just like, I'm, this is, it's very clearly logically like this is not going to help me. Therefore it's a waste of time. Therefore I'm not going to do it. Whatever. I didn't think anything of it, but I guess that was not the average, like, you know, 10 year olds mentality. Mm -hmm. So they ended up like pulling me in. They're like, why do you feel this way? And they had me play with Legos. I'm like, Oh cool. I don't know. I'm playing with Legos and talking. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're like, Oh, you're in the gifted program. Like, I don't even know what that means. The gifted. And then I don't know what that means, but we get, we get chocolate Sundays every Friday. So I'm like, cool. Sounds good. (laughs) So I go in there and then, but that's been kind of like looking back, I didn't realize like really how different my mindset was. Mm -hmm. Um, until until fairly recently actually um because we all only we all grew up only looking through our own perspectives our, mm-hmm. our own two eyes so everything you experience you think uh that everybody else having similar experiences sees in the same way you do because mm-hmm. well that's the right way to look at it right because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. we all come to our own conclusion based on our own experience but i didn't realize i was like so mechanical in my analysis of situations that I didn't account for the emotions that most people have that affect their decisions in those things. Mm. So I was all growing up, I didn't understand irony. I didn't understand um, humor at all. I, I had to learn how to be funny. I, and it's still a work in progress. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like growing up, I was never cool. I was never a jock. I was never anybody. I was mostly a nerd. And... I wanted to be funny. So I remember looking at my friends that were funny. I'm like, how are they making people laugh? How are they doing this? And I would analyze the situation. Like, is it the content of what they're saying? Is it the context of how they're saying it? Is it the tone? Is it the timing? Is it the inflection? Is it who they're saying it to? Like, yeah, and I yeah. would break it down. And I, would, I would try to figure it out from a mechanical perspective. Like, what defines humor? And I would try it and fail horribly awkwardly so many times where it's something I thought was funny and people just look at me like what, what are you saying right now <laughs> yeah and I'm like okay well I'm gonna check so you were testing material on people yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically is what it came down to um but I had to learn essentially I had to learn how to be a human is what yeah, it was because yeah. my mentality is normally like uh like an engineer mindset or like mm-hmm. very uh numbers driven analytical so um for me it was I don't want to say hard growing up, but I really felt disconnected growing up, mm-hmm. um, which helped me in certain ways. But it also, you know, hindered me in a lot of other ways. So it's been a it's been a process. It's kind of like I mean, we we had a guy on here talking about the reconnecting of the dots backwards. It's mm-hmm. kind of going backwards and reconnecting the dots now, yeah. making sense of a lot of that, which at the time probably felt super foreign. Dude, totally. Yeah, 
but uh, it's really interesting. Though, a lot of the a lot of things recently that I've heard, like podcasts and books and stuff, though, a lot of the people that are are doing you know bigger things or, or successful uh, are the people who want to and enjoy figuring things out the way the same way you were just talking about right? like deconstructing like how is somebody funny mm-hmm. and then trying to figure that out um because that skill you can take that across you know anything funny? it was it was one of the biggest challenges that i had but now it's become one of my biggest assets because as we've grown the company um we went from four people this time last year to uh, 18 people now and the difference is that I applied what I learned growing up to trying making a real effort to understand my team better. What it is that defines their, their sense of style, personality, character, identity, and then finding ways to connect with them and driving the ideals of the company, what we're driving for within the company and tying it into their growth as a person, mm. as basically trying to motivate them in ways that are relevant, mm-hmm. right? So, it, but it's been, it's become one of our biggest assets is building the team that we've been able to build and building the culture and the community and the family type atmosphere within that. Um, but dude, I would not have been able to do that like on accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had to literally go through that and like spend a lifetime of like deconstructing these little things to try to figure it out. And only now I'm able to kind of put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. This fits here. This fits here. If I do this, then this is going to be the reaction. Like, okay, let's build this, totally. this thing like that. And um, it's been something I've avoided for like a decade in business. But now, man, like it is the number one thing I focus on. It's the most rewarding to me. And I love doing that more than any other aspect of the business. And that's that's how we're going to get to scale the company to the size that I want. It's not, it's not through me. It's through building the team and building their capabilities mm-hmm. and their sense of self. Mm-hmm. And uh, dude, I, I, I love that stuff. Man. That I feel like that because you said understanding irony, it's kind of ironic because you said you didn't really understand people or how to figure out how they were funny. And now you like are, are getting almost like a self-education in how to understand and motivate and, uh, because businesses are run by people for the most they part. Are. Yeah. And and it, you could fight that all you want, but then you just keep turning over people and mm-hmm. you'll you'll keep slipping down as much as you crawl back up. And uh, that's probably the most challenging part because everybody's different. They walk in with a different set of problems yeah. and you have to be able to to acknowledge the personal issues outside of work because not even though like the entrepreneur's mind is it's work work work. It's all I think about. This is my world. That's not the case for everybody. Yeah. And, and you also have to be empathetic to the fact that they, they're coming in. They might have had a vicious fight with their wife or husband the day before. Mm-hmm. They might have not slept because their kid was up all night. Might have that, but also like channeling them like, hey, but when you're in here, we got to work. You know, we got yeah. to keep working. And it's funny because I've seen over the, you know, the, call it like the Facebook, Google model of, you know, they put in like the little basketball hoops and this and like the, yeah. the, the distractors. I'm like, those are cool. And that makes, it's almost a way of saying, hey, we want you to feel comfortable so you'll work. 12 hours instead of eight and fucking call it a day. But I'm like, unless those people are, what I've learned is unless they're progressing in their role um, and learning, then you can put all the fucking distractions out there and it's not going to go anywhere. You know, you're not going to get the best version of them and you're not going to keep them for the long, long term because there were like bits and pieces we pulled on that. Like our last office, I'm a basketball player. So I put a basketball hoop up, but what it was just for the fact, like 
I got high enough roofs now I could put a basketball hoop. It's pretty <laughs> fucking cool. It wasn't to be like, hey, everybody, like shoot hoops for 20 minutes and go work another four hours. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's kind of been the model when you see people building out. Like, let's make a let's make a area that they can take a nap and they can do this. I'm like, but are they learning and are they yeah. progressing? And you know, are you actually and, and that is so well, much more time consuming. Matters. Yeah. Yeah, because you yeah. can put all these little tools and you know, assets in there, and but it's like I don't know. It's like having a tool set in there, but if you don't build the right culture, it doesn't matter what you have in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, because really what you're trying to do is reinforce the culture and the character of the business and the personality types that are in there. So that's, that's what drives the culture. So when you have a culture that's big enough, you can bring new people in there and they, they come in and they're like, Oh, well, this is, this is what they're about. They're about work hard, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, take breaks and let your mind release and, and, you know, coordinate and communicate with people and then get back to work, you know, hardcore. But if you don't, if you just have those tools, but not the culture, do people just can play ping pong all day? Yeah. You know? So you have to, you have to do, you have to do both. Um, but dude, I, I didn't understand that for so long. And I would, when I was first starting out, like I didn't want to have any employees. We had a few in my first business and I didn't, I was always so frustrated with them. So mm-hmm. I was oh, my employees are pissing me off. They don't understand this and they understand that. And I was blaming them for everything, not realizing it was totally my fucking fault. Mm -hmm. It was all my fault because I didn't understand how to communicate with them. I didn't understand what they needed. I didn't know how to lead them. So I was a terrible leader. Um, And it's because I didn't understand that they were different from me. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, this this is my perspective. It makes sense for me. Logically, mechanically, this is the outcome, right? So oh. everybody should see this because it's so clear yeah. to me that it should be common sense. But it took me a long time to realize that people don't see that. And even if they did see it, they didn't care about it in the way I did. So I had to create a different way to get them to care about it by highlighting things about that goal that would affect and be good for them. So mm-hmm. it's like, hey, this is the big vision. This is what we want to do. This is where we're going. And I don't even usually tell them about what's in it for me because they don't they don't fucking care right yeah but tell them like hey if we go here if we can build this if we can build this kind of company here's what your day is going to look like here's what you're going to be able to do here's the freedoms you're going to have and that gets them excited oh yeah and then they're on board and then if you get the whole community the whole people involved in this and they want to push and build and and scale now anybody new that comes into the company dude they're swept up in that they're Mm -hmm. instantly involved in your culture Mm -hmm. so now i can put you know skateboard ramp that we can do whatever we want in there and do they're they're gonna go do it and play on it but they're still gonna get back to work and then yeah right yeah and i wasn't like i wasn't like bashing having those the aspects in the office because i think it is important but what you just said is like that's so much more important yeah to have to have both and and creating the culture is really hard because one bad apple can spoil the however that goes the whole whole harvest but the thing i never understood why people had those ping pong tables and stuff in there before i was like dude it makes no sense people aren't going to work as hard like you're taking them away from work because mechanically it didn't make sense but once i understood people a little bit better i was like oh mm-hmm. now now mm-hmm. i get it totally yeah yeah and the mechanical side of my brain i was like that's dumb Why are you yeah, doing yeah, that? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you uh you said something too that that i i couldn't agree more with about uh you know there's a, a loneliness aspect which yeah. i think is totally uh underrated and not talked about enough because when you people I think look at and and take your team for example and they look at like oh he Ryan's on the top and it's probably all high fives and hugs and 
fucking, you know, every finish line he crosses, he's got a team. Like, <laughs> it's actually the opposite. You know, you don't, yeah. like, when you fuck up, there's no one to really say, hey, let me scoop you up and fucking get you back on your feet. Mm-hmm. And when you have those big victories, there's also no, you don't really have someone who's like, way to go. You killed it, you know? So it's a really weird, and in the early days when you're not having, when you're having more of the fuck-ups than you are the the successes, it bogs you down. Nobody's rooting for you, man. Yeah. yeah. And and no one really gives you the uh, the credit or attention because you're like, oh, he's just, he's he's a pipe dream starting it up and whatever until, you know, you start getting into position as I'm sure you're in now. You know, we're like, okay, you're taken much more serious. You know, y- you now are on the evaluator side of, of people. But I don't think enough people talk about, and especially right now when it's like there couldn't be anything out there probably above being a pro athlete or a rock star or musician it's like there's this big fucking impression put on entrepreneur and owning a business. And 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 I talked to you before the show, like this is our main sticking point to why we started this. And the mission statement is to yeah. like to point out stuff like that. And like you just you speaking on loneliness couldn't couldn't be more true because it's really fucking lonely. And even now you probably have plenty of those moments still dude. where you're yeah. like, dude, people don't see the those parts of the fight and to drag them into it's not fair. So I was like, fuck. And I, and, and I, I want to talk about the, the group you got in because I'm sure that's probably working in the direction of helping curb that or channel that. And you can kind of bring some of your, those things into there. Yeah. And dude, honestly, my wife has been a huge, huge supporter. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to build what I built without her. And it's not like, I don't mean support. Like I come home and she rubs my back. She's like, oh, good job, baby. <laughs> I mean, she's like, she's like, Hey, what kind of, what kind of problems are you having today? Like, okay, well, Let's find solutions to them. Oh, you need me to do this? Dude, awesome. I got it. Like, she really is, like, my my partner. Totally, in, yeah. In life. And she just happens to be a COO as well. She, she runs, like, the whole business now. Um, but, dude, in the beginning stages, man, when nobody can see that vision and you think, dude, we're going to do this, we're going to do all those things, but it's just you and your laptop, people are like, yeah, yeah, sure, buddy, <laughs> you know? Totally. Um, and you have to get traction before people start paying attention. Um but yeah, dude, it, it is it is lonely. Um, but I think there's different stages to it, though. Because in the beginning, everybody's supportive of you. And they're like, oh, cool, man. Like, awesome. They don't want to really be involved or do the work. But like, oh, cool. Yeah, go build something awesome. But you have problems. You're like, eh. No, yeah. Let's grab a beer. Yeah. You know, 100%. <laughs> so they don't know how to solve it. Uh, so they're not really supportive in a way, in like a meaningful way that's going to you know help provide traction. And then once you do get traction and start to get bigger a lot of those same people end up distancing themselves and they're like oh that was cool but but then and it starts to feel weird and awkward because they here's the thing a lot of your friends want you to be successful just not more successful than them Mm -hmm. and that's that's the fucking truth man and so it sucks when like you're leveling up and your friend group isn't and you're like bro let's go hang out and they're like oh oh, I got to do this other thing. And it's because your success makes them aware of their lack of success. Or you could be totally successful, both of you, but it's a perceived lack of success. Mm -hmm. And it's also how you define success. So in reality, you should be both totally fucking happy with where you're at. But the comparison analysis, like, well, he's doing this and I haven't been able to do that and he makes more money. And you're like, fuck, I don't want to hang out with him. It makes me feel bad. <laughs> they, they might not even know that that's their thought process. Right, yeah. They just think like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. And then they start to talk shit. And then mm-hmm. there's this, this back and forth. So 
you have this big gap from where you start to where once you become a little bit more successful, you'll find other people that have gone through that on the next level. And that's where I think EO is, is a great resource for that. Uh, Arite Syndic is a great resource for that. Um, even Instagram is a great resource for that. You can find people that, yeah, are, you're right. that are doing cool shit and you can reach out to them now at a level that 10 years ago didn't exist. You couldn't like, you know, DM people. Who that's, were, how I, who were, that's how I got him here. Slid up yeah. in his DMs. <laughs> Slid right up in his DMs. Well, we, know, we knew each other before, but I mean, like, you had no, like, there was no way to find other people. There was no way to level up, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people just grow to a certain size, and then they would feel bad about getting any bigger because they're the biggest person in their friend group or whatever, and they're like, oh, well, uh, you don't really start reaching for anything more than that. So even, like, you get to, like, you know, 20 or $40 million. And you're like, fuck, that's huge. That's way bigger than I am right now. But um, you get that big and none of your friends are that big. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I don't really know where to go. But mm-hmm. then you hang out with a group of dudes who are doing like 100 million, 200 million, 300 million. It's a whole different level. Yeah, and yeah, you're like, a whole different game. You're like, fuck, bro. Let's do <laughs> yeah, it. Let's yeah. go. You know what I mean? And then, but now you hang out with those people and they've been where you're at. And they can show you the ropes. They can show you the groundwork. They can show you the steps and talk you through the process that they use to get there. Um, but more than that, dude, it's just it's just a mentality and a mindset of of constantly striving to do better. And I think a lot of people end up shedding old people from their life, not on purpose, but because they don't match up with that mentality mindset of constantly progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that I know that are operating at that level – Dude, there is no, there is no finish line. Yeah, they're yeah. gonna go. They're not gonna retire. Like that mindset. What do you do when you retire on that? Mm-hmm. They're not gonna sit in a rocking chair. Like yeah. they're gonna go until they die. Yeah, yeah. Because they love the game. They love the process. Mm-hmm. They love solving problems. Is really what it is. So, um, but I think there is that huge gap in the middle. Or dude, it's super lonely. Like yeah. for years, I was like. Fuck man, I'm the only one. It, it stalled. It stalled my progress. I didn't know what the next steps were. I didn't. I didn't know how useful it would be to be involved with people at a higher level because I, I did. I didn't have that experience. Totally. So. It, it's a. Uh, I can't remember where I read about. It's called social comparison, and like, oh, it dates back to when we were like cavemen. You know, just comparing the guys the guy's hut next to you. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're creatures of always comparing, comparing. It's just right now it's, it's so much worse because you can literally get on Social your phone. Media. You're immediately Dude, yeah. com- comparing, but you, you said something really important that, uh, I think what people need to do is actually sit down and, and define what is, what is success that you're even Dude, comparing? Totally. Because the first metric, I think, I think the first go-to metric is, is career or business success. And yes, that's one, but there's so many other metrics. And I look and I have a lot of people who are like, you know, comparing or wanting the success of my business, how you got there and almost like, like it feels it's coming from a guilty place and I'll flip it on and I'll be like, I just had a, one of my, my best college buddies in, in, in Minnesota, um, just got let go from his company. He's been with almost 10 years and, you know, he's kind of flipping it and talking about how like my company where I'm at, but I, I, I turned it on and I'm like, dude, you have an incredible wife and an incredible seven year old son and you're about to have your second kid. I'm like, I'm Dude, that's I, massive I, success. I, I <laughs> want to say back to you. I'm like, I don't have that, but I'm like, I also, I, I wouldn't put myself in a guilty place. Sure. I would love that. I want that, but I'm not going to guilt you. Like you have to channel what's your success because you could have potentially chased what I chased and not have that. 
Yeah. You know, and, and I think everybody just kind of gets <clears throat> jockeying back and forth. We're like, dude, we are all running a race, but we're all taking it in different strides, dude, you know? And, and, I, and I think once people, it, it, again, going back, it's, it's really tough because social media does not make it any easier because the minute that you have, you, you, you slip up, you go on and then you'll see someone be like, Oh, I slipped up, but holy shit. He just did this incredible accomplishment. I'm like now I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm down here, yeah. you know? And, and, and it, I don't know if that's played anything in anything in your role, but I think really defining what the success is so you can look and be like, Hey man, congratulations Dude, with no absolutely. ulterior motive, you know? Absolutely. And I think it, it, three things. Number one, it's human nature to be like, somebody does better than you. You're like, Oh fuck that guy. I want that. But you, you have to make, and I've been doing this so long for me, it's like second nature to be like, dude, fucking good for them, man. That's awesome. I'm fucking happy for you. I want that too. I'm going to fucking try to go do the same fucking thing, but bigger and better for no other fucking reason than it's something to do. Like, totally. Why do you climb mountains? Because they're fucking there. Mm -hmm. what it is. So, but ask somebody who's not a mountain climber, why do you climb a mountain? They don't climb mountains. I have no desire to climb a mountain. Mm -hmm. a mountain climber parallel has no desire to build a business. Yeah. So you have to really define success, right? So it, but, but the second or the third point there is that Instagram is, it is for the most part real life, right? Like it, unless you're like super fucking fake, but it's real life, but you have to understand it's only part of real life. It's only the highlights. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can take the highlight reel of somebody's mediocre life and it's going to look better than, you know, the lowlights of somebody who's massively, you know, successful in whatever realm. Totally, yeah. So it's like you have to realize it, it's a great tool. Um, it is a great asset, but like any powerful tool, it, it can hurt you if you don't know how to use it mm -hmm. correctly. So I think you have to take everything with a grain of salt and be like, okay, this is – it's cool to use, but you, you can't compare yourself to that. You can use it as fuel – but if you let it burn you, it's just going to eat you up mm -hmm. all day long. But the third thing is, um, dude, absolutely, you have to define success mm -hmm. for you. And a lot of times, this goes back to Instagram, people will see something that looks cool on Instagram, like a car. Like, oh, I want to get a Lamborghini. But if they're not a car guy, dude, you might spend three years building something and you're like, oh, I finally got a car. And you drive it and realize... Fuck, it's not as cool as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then and then now what? You spent the last three years, sacrificed a ton of things, did a lot of work, and now you got what this other person had and you don't really want it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with like, you know, kids and family and white picket fence and two and a half cars. It's like you you really have to define what it is that you want out of life first. Totally. And then craft a way there. It's like it's like a roadmap, right? Like you need you need two things to get anywhere in life. You need uh, an accurate assessment of where you, you really are in life and you need to define where it is you want to go. But to do that, and it's never a straight line. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you really, if you just say you have two points in space, the probability of you just randomly wandering in any general direction and reaching a point that is truly going to define happiness and success for you it's so fucking small. Nope. It's, it's unbelievable. So nope. that's why a lot of people are unhappy and they, they chase success and they get degrees because their parents told them to or they start businesses because it looks cool on Instagram and they do all these things without ever really asking themselves if they really want what's at the end of that. So then even if they do achieve it and it takes a lot of sacrifice to achieve anything, 
they get there and they find that that's not what they really wanted anyway. Yeah, and then now they're unhappy and they're back to square zero, square zero again, which is a scary thought, man. That's probably yeah. the scariest thought, in my opinion. You know, is getting there and thinking that's what you want. Which right now there's so many different distractions and like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. Yeah, and you get to be like, oh shit, I didn't really want that. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you you said something too about uh, people not taking serious until you get that traction. You know, and the traction coming out. I think we're in a really, really different, tricky spot right now that people are getting the traction way too premature. It's easy to get traction now. So, like, it's hard. It's hard vetting who's successful and who's appearing to be successful Yep. more than ever, you know? And, and, and I, like, I personally vet and, like, I'm very particular as far as this show goes because I don't want – it doesn't matter to me if you have 100 million followers and your appearance, like – we want to sit down and talk with people who actually have these, these success, not the appearance and everything else, not just success, you know, but right now people are getting traction literally every day. And I think the smoke and mirrors behind it that people don't understand is, is influencing them to go that direction because they're saying, Oh my God, they've built something for themselves because of their profile, their social media. I'm like, no, no, they haven't yeah. yet. You know? Well, a lot of people are selling courses on like, I'm going to sell you a course on how to be successful. But the only business you have is this selling, selling a course, course on how to be successful. So, <laughs> Dude, don't get me started on this. <laughs> You're like, yes. We've talked about right. this. Yeah. Life coaches yeah. and all that. Well, there is there is benefit to that. But at the same time, it's like if your only business is telling people how to be successful, that yes, you can be successful with that. But if they can't replicate what you've done, are you really providing them a service that's mm-hmm. going to that's gonna, mm-hmm. you know, do something for them? So I, I think like there is – it's useful. People need different things on different parts of their journey, right? Like in the, I know in the beginning for me, um, I needed actionable things. I needed a roadmap. Like how much does this product cost? How much should I pay for this? What does the website cost? Like how, like actual hard data numbers to, to, to build a functional business. Right. And after that, after something is, you know, profitable could be $5 profit, you buy something for $3, sell it for $5. You have $2 profit. Very simple. Now you scale that. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I buy, you know, 100 of these for $3, $300. I buy, I sell them for $5 each, $500. I have $200 profit. Do the same thing times 10. Now you have a scalable business. But it reaches a point after that where um, the evolution of scale on that is systems and processes because mm-hmm. you have to figure out, you know, how to, how to replicate that and scale it. But eventually you're going to reach a point where you have to involve people in it. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of these businesses get stuck at like, you know, the, the million or a couple million dollar mark is because they never address the people problem and they can, they can create the business, they can create the systems and processes and scale it, but it gets stuck because they can't replicate it past themselves. Totally. And you only have so much time in the day Yep. and people are not ones and zeros. They're not logical or consistent or predictable you have to manage them in a completely different way so once you reach that threshold of what you can do mechanically in the business you have to now address people and that is a completely different skill set it's a completely different mindset like my role in the business now is 99% completely different than it was two years ago mm. completely different um, but oh, I had good, to in a good that. way I'm sure Oh, I love it, man. Yeah, I yeah. absolutely love it. But and is that you, you're like what you're talking about, going more from like the process side to more of like people management? I guess you can call yeah, it. Yeah, I had to. I had to learn how to understand people better. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to 
appreciate them in ways that they would see valuable uh, to communicate my my vision and my dreams in a way that was meaningful for them to get them on board to bring everybody together to get the different departments to work together um, and it's an ongoing process we're not perfect with it by any means but I've, I've learned a lot in the last couple of years and now I see that that's the reason that a lot of these businesses stuck and for me if I want to build the business that I want to build I had to evolve and I had to learn these things and um can can you dive because this is really interesting can can you dive a little bit deeper into that process of like how and where your mindset shifted from process to like people management yeah you know what's funny um you might actually know man uh brandon stapper yeah no yeah 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 he was one of my best friends we started our our first business together back in the day yeah like 2007 time frame um so uh he, he's always been a couple years ahead of me in business. And he told me something a couple years ago when I was not wanting to deal with employees and I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to do this mechanics and I'm going to uh, systematize these processes and then I'm going to outsource everything, right? And he's like, bro, you're never going to get as big as you want to get unless you address becoming a better leader and get good at managing employees and a team. And I was like, ah, oh, dude, whatever. I'm just going to fucking, we're doing good. We're like, it, like I think, a little over a million at that point. And it, it worked. Our system worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, dude, a couple years later, we reached that point of saturation where we couldn't get any bigger um, with just ourselves. We had to build a team. And, dude, he was totally right. He was yeah. absolutely right. And then I, I had to really sit down with myself and be like, dude, I was wrong about how I was going to build this. Um, I suck as a leader and I need to get better. And then it was through that, you know, self-awareness of realizing that I sucked and that I was a source of all these fucking problems, mm-hmm. not the employees, not anything external. I was a source of the problems, but then realized that I had the power to change it. So within that, I started figuring out um, how to, how, how do you, how do you be a good leader? Like, what does that really entail? Mm-hmm. So um, guys like Andy Frisella on his podcasts are great. Um, I learned a lot from uh, Jocko on his podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, little things like that. And then those same principles that I applied as a, as a kid, like trying to understand humor and, and emotion. I was like, okay, I, I need to do this now at a completely different level. Mm-hmm. So I started applying that to um, my relationships with um everybody with our team um even even my my girlfriend my now wife um but dude honestly like the, the number one thing i can recommend to anybody as far as business the best business book i've ever read is the five love languages mm. it's uh like i i wish i would have read it 20 years ago it mm. completely changed the way i interact with everybody with our Interesting. team uh with my wife um because everybody has different ways that they appreciate um, anything, really. Mm-hmm. So um, the problems I was having before is I would show love. And I say, love, you're not actually going to, like, love your employees, right? Yeah. Not, I mean, you do, but not in, yeah, like, yeah. in the same way that I get you, it. you know, love your, your wife, your girlfriend. Um, but I would show love in a way that I wanted to receive love. And the other person would show love in the way that they wanted to receive love. And sometimes those are completely different. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you both might might really love each other, but you both feel completely unloved There's because you're showing yeah. each other ways that are irrelevant to the other person. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So for me, like once I figured that out, I look back at all my relationships and it's like, oh my God, I'm so <laughs> dumb. What was I thinking? Because of course that fucking makes sense. Um, but now I apply it to um to our employees as well. Um, so obviously, like one of the love languages is physical touch. So you're not gonna go over and like, you know, start rubbing on your people. Yeah. It'd be a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah. HR would probably have some issues with that. Yeah. Um, but there are some carryovers um that do work. So now what I use that for is like when I'm talking to our creatives, um, they're very driven by uh, words of affirmation. So um, Urban, our videographer, is fantastic, fantastic dude. He's so talented and like he does amazing work. And um, he's not motivated in the same way that our sales guys are motivated, right? So like our, to go and talk with Urban, I look at him like, dude, let me show, show me your work, man. Like, this is awesome. This is badass. Like, let me, oh, I love what you did here. This edit, like, dude, that splice looks fucking killer. Man. Yeah. People are going to love this. They're going to flip when we do it. And I tag him and all this stuff and like, just try to show him that I really do appreciate his work. And it's, yeah. it's not bullshit. He's really good. Yeah, yeah. And I really do feel that way, but I have to show him how I'm feeling in a way that is relevant to him. Right. And our sales guys are different. Like if I go have that same conversation with our sales guys, they're like, yeah, that's great, man, but like, how much money are we gonna make this month? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for him, it's a different conversation. Um, so, but what I had to realize is that uh, me as the owner, um, I need to kind of compartmentalize my uh, feelings and, and uh, goals and package them up in a way that is going to be received um, best by our team, right? And my wife is a COO. I need to talk with her differently than I do my CFO, um, than our sales, than our production. So that, that book right there really made me realize that, dude, it was totally my fault. I was just not communicating in ways totally. that were relevant to the people. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was a couple of things. I, I, I feel like it, it'd be safe to say, though, when you say like you sucked at the time, I think you were, you were probably competent at the time for where you were in business, meaning you were great at that level, but you wanted to go a level above. So you suck to get to that next level. And it's almost the same thing. Like, Hey, I kind of sucked because I have this girlfriend, but if I want to make it my, make her my wife, I have to change certain things about me. And there's, there's a lot of business owners out there like, no, 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 things will change for me. You know, it'll adapt to me. So having like what you kind of describe in the self-awareness, it's like, I suck to get where I want to go. Like right now, if I, and, and there's a lot of people like I'm, I'm okay with where we're at. You know, Dude, we're doing yeah. good sales, even like in my relationship, like got a great girlfriend, this, but yeah. I want to go here. Right. And I suck. Yeah. I think that's a fair way, a fair way of looking at it. And like, I have to do everything possible to improve myself. Mm -hmm. If I want to get there, if I just want to stay here, totally fine. And yeah. I'll continue to have a great girlfriend. I'll continue to have a successful business, but I don't. Right. You know, so. And that's, that goes back to defining success, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what it is that you want out of life. And that's totally fine, man. Like that. Like most people, that is success by most people's metrics. You know, it's just I'm I'm an outlier and I have these weird things. Like I want to go build a three hundred million dollar company. Why? I don't know. Because it's a fucking mountain. I want to go climb it. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. even know. Once I get there, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I want to go for a billion. I don't know. But the thing is, like, I have to give myself some kind of carrot, some kind of thing that I'm driving for. Because otherwise, why the fuck am I staying up till midnight? Why am I fucking getting up early? Why am I spending every waking moment thinking about this thing, this vision that I have? So I have to stick something out there. I just came up with that number because I'm like, that sounds like a 
It's a fun number. Really? Sounds like a good Sounds number. Sounds like a nice round number, right? <laughs> it's a fun yeah. number. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, too, like, we, we now have a plan to get there. And, like, to, to dive into, like, the, the metrics of it, we're going on our fifth year in business now. Um, work backwards from a year ago, I set a goal of I want to have a $300 million company in five years. So that's now four years from now. So going back our first year, we did about 800,000 in business. We run on really small margins, so it's not like this is not like in my freaking pocket money at all. Mm-hmm. Our first year, we did about 800,000. Second year, we did 1.8. Third year, 3.1. This last year, we did about just over 4 million. Nice. We're on track to do, I set a goal this year of 8 million. So if we can do 8 million this year, which I, I we're already blowing that number out of the water, but set a big goal. I think we can do it. If we can do 8 million this year, we can do 20 the next. If I can do 20 the next, I can do 100 the next. If I can do 100, I can do 300. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're going to get to 300 million. Sure, yeah. years. Um, but the thing is, like, I personally made way more money years two and three where we didn't have this infrastructure. I didn't, I didn't have this overhead. I had way more money in my pocket um, than I do now. We actually lost, we're negative $80,000 last year. So we did 4 million in, in gross sales. Me personally is negative 80,000. That's got to drive the analytical side of you fucking crazy. No, Cause you're like, no. wait a second, I've got up here. Then why is it down here? Well, you, no, but I, I, I knew I'm very like in tune with the numbers. So I knew what it was going into it. And the reason that it's like that is because our growth curve is like this, but our infrastructure costs have always been slightly less. But I knew that we're, I planned this out a year ago and said, if we want to go here, I need an infrastructure to support a bigger business than we are right now. Mm -hmm. So I put all our money and resources into building out this team of people has incredible capabilities. And now we have a really, really solid infrastructure. So we, we don't, we, we could not do anything and pretty much make our $8 million goal. And then through that, like, so we have this curve and I have this little window of the last three months where I've spent more on infrastructure, but our infrastructure costs are going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. So right now we have this three month, three or four month window where we're negative. Um, that just happened to be at the end of the year. So mm. I'm like, cool. But Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like it's a surprise. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So I, I went into it and I planned it out knowing that it was going to be tight. Um, and knowing that I, if I want to build this big fucking thing that I want to build, I need to invest in the infrastructure. I need to take care of our people and build this team so that they can build this massive thing with me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I went into it and I was like, dude, this is going to cost us money. Mm-hmm. And it did. So, we're, yeah, yeah we're, I mean, it's great for taxes. We don't have to pay taxes <laughs> this year because it actually costs money. Um, but obviously, that's not the goal for the company. So now we're, we set some pretty big goals for Q1 and Q2, and we'll be on track totally paid off and everything up in early Q2. Um, but I had to do that. But everybody thinks like, oh, $4 million business, you must be rolling and like driving a Ferrari. Yeah, we're doing we're doing fine. But at the same time, it's like the actual numbers, mm-hmm. like, fuck, man, most people don't realize like, yeah, that's really what it looks like to scale a company. Mm-hmm. Like, people, but people don't understand that. Yeah, you're building the foundation for it. Yeah, and that's that's the key. But if I was but if I if I didn't have this big fucking crazy goal, if I was just like, oh, I just want to make you know, a couple hundred grand and, and have a couple million dollar company. And dude, I would make way more money in my pocket having stalled the growth at like, you know, two or 3 million. I would make way more money in my pocket. Totally. But at the same time, it's like now I'm settling for fucking 
I'm settling. Settling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? What problems am I going to solve? You know what I mean? So I had to go bigger to find more problems to solve. I had to put that big carrot out there. Yeah. So, so I guess talk, talk real, real specific on what your, because I, do, I know a little about a little, but what your business um, is now, like what you're in the business of doing. And then also too, just wanted to hear, I know you were, you were in another business or in like, it was with kettlebells, right? Yeah. Um, so again, I only know a little about a little, um, so I guess go into details on, on what you're doing now and, and and where, I mean, that was before what you had before. Yeah. So, um, my, my first company was a company called Forge Clothing. It was a a business that uh, another team guy, friend of mine and I started a lot of fun, learned a lot of lessons. I, I sold my half of that in 2012. Um, and I started another clothing line, um, called Disciples of Iron, sold that one. And I started a kettlebell company, uh, 2011, I think, uh, called Demon Bells. And it was like kettlebells with faces on them. And the only reason I, I didn't intend to start the business, I was looking for a kettlebell with a skull on it. Because I'm like, this is cool. I want to like work out with one. And nobody made one. So mm-hmm. it's like, dude, I can't be the only one that, that like wants this thing. Like, I, well, I, I guess I'll try to make it. Yeah. And um, it was a freaking process. I, I that's one business I don't recommend getting into is equipment manufacturing. It is such a pain in the balls, dude. I I mean it worked out. I sold the company and it was it was fine. Um but yeah that was that was a huge huge pain. We had a mm. uh, so little like numbers background on that. At that time I had a house that was going into foreclosure. This is like two thousand nine or ten. House is going to foreclosure. Um, I knew nothing about finances, so I was trying to, uh, all my cash was going to try to float the house. So I was living on credit cards. So I was actually $20,000 in credit card debt, zero cash. And I was like, well, this is a, this is a cool idea though. We had some little like resin cast mold and they're really cool. And I'm like, dude, I think this could work. I think, I think people would buy this. Like I want to buy it. Yeah. And so we came out with four different bells and found a supplier uh, overseas in China that could make them. I was like, all right, let's <clears throat> see how it goes. They sent the samples and the samples look, look great. Um, they're okay, but they look good. Um, this is like China stuff. It's, it's sand casting. So it's inherent, like it's kind of like, like this, like uh, grainy mm. type material. And <clears throat> they're like, okay, it's going to cost $60,000. I had less you take than credit card. Yeah. yeah. I, credit. I, had, I had less than zero money. I was negative $20,000 in credit card debt. And, um, so I was like, well, fuck man. All right, let's, I think it'll work. So I had a three month pre-order on it. So I had the, the bells, the resin cast bells, took photos of them, sold them as you know pre-orders. I guess it can take three months to get these, but they're out there. And they didn't starter or, um, no, just on, Instagram and oh cool yeah I didn't use Kickstarter because I was afraid of being on video. <laughs> ah, um, but it was through that that I was like, okay, three month three month pre order, and uh, we sold enough to to pay for the order. Thankfully, I was like, cool, awesome, it's gonna work. Oh, and yeah. then uh, this track three months later, this tractor trailer comes in, and it's full of like all the bells, right? Like a dozen pallets of these things come in. I pull the first one out, and I'm like. Yes, I'm gonna be a millionaire. (laughs) Pull it out. I'm like, fucking awesome. And I pull the other one out. I'm like, oh shit. It it looks like it was sandcast with gravel. There's like divots in it. There's 
pits and like edges. It was like, I'm like, oh my God, dude, I've got like hundreds of these things. How fucked up are they? So we pulled all of them out, laid all of them in, in my buddy's shop at the time. And it turns out there was about 30% of them, about, about a third of them were, were good. So we're able to fulfill, we, we'd instantly sold about a third of them in pre-orders. So it was like, awesome. We fulfilled the pre-orders, kept our customers happy. But now I'm like, basically the business is dead at that point. It's like, yeah, I covered my costs, but I, I can't move forward with this. So the other two thirds of the bells, uh, one third was complete junk, no way to fix them. We just threw them right in the recycling bin. Like it was, it was done. But the, the third that was in the middle was like they, they could be fixed, but they were powder coated. So they needed to like be filed down or they needed to be welded in. But I couldn't get through the powder coating. I'd have to remove the powder coating to fix the bell. And then it would cost so much to recoat them that I wouldn't be able to sell them for any money. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what am I going to do with these things? Like I, I had racked my brain and I came up with uh, the idea that we would just remove all the uh, black powder coating on them. And it came off this really like black wash finish. It looked like really cool, brought out a lot of the, the uh, you know, uh, depth in it. And so I did that and then I filed down the edges, like literally hand filed these things, um, welded in some, some gaps in it to, to make them look cool. And dude, they looked better. They really looked better in raw metal than they even did with the powder coating. And we put some clear resin cast on them. Dude, and they were beautiful. So mm. we took them to the CrossFit Games. I want to say this is like 2012 or 13. Took them to CrossFit Games. And because they looked so much cooler, we sold those for three times what the other ones cost. Oh, wow. You're going to make them way more money on it. Yeah. And then, thankfully, through that process, um, Bill Henniger from Rogue Fitness um, turned me on to a uh, foundry in, in Massachusetts that uh, was able to bring manufacturing to the U.S., and then we were able to continue the business with that. But, dude, that was, like, it was scary as fuck, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, not, like less than zero money, putting in a $60,000 pre-order, and be like, fuck, I hope this works. Yeah, man. But, yeah. What an awesome spin, though. Spin to it. Well, it's, it's problem solving. Yeah, yeah. really what it is, man. Yeah, like, definitely. So then you you were in that. How long did you have that for? Um. I, I sold that in 2014, uh, unfortunately, to a dude that completely ran it into the ground. Mm. Um, so that was a bummer. I should have, you know, it's funny. I should have sold it to Onnit because they came out with their own bells, <laughs> Love which, which are rad too. Yeah. Um, I should have sold it to them, but I didn't have the confidence to even approach them. Yeah. I was like, I was like, ah, they don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And this was before they were creating their own. Well, you know what's funny? Joe Rogan actually mentioned my company on his podcast really? as the inspiration for this, for, uh-huh. for Onnit stuff. And um, we actually got a lot of sales out of it. But I didn't, I was like, I didn't listen to podcasts at the time. I never I never saw it. But I was like, dude, we saw all these sales come in. And people said they heard about it on Joe Rogan. And then Onnit came out with their own stuff. Um, but one thing I always appreciated about Onnit is they never, like, they never bit off my design. Yeah. Like, they didn't copy at all. They did like completely their own thing, which was awesome. Um, even though dude, there's a huge company, they could have totally just sure, stole my stuff it, and yeah. squashed sure. me, but, but they didn't, they always did their own thing. But looking back, dude, knowing what I know now, I would have totally been like, bro, Aubrey, you need to buy my fucking company, bro. I'm selling it. You, know, <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. all the IP, you get all the, all the patents, <laughs> all the trademarks, all the shit, buy it. And I probably would have got twice what I 
I just didn't have the balls to even think that, oh, they don't know who I am. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't have the confidence. So what did you learn learn from that? Have bigger balls. (laughs) (laughs) Easy enough. Easy enough, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But you know what's funny, man? Like, being in the Arate Syndicate and being around dudes who are doing, you know, 40, 100, 300 million dollars a year, I realized that those guys are facing the same problems that you and I are facing. We're all facing the same problems. And it made me realize, like, fuck, dude, I'm I'm actually doing most things right. Um, and I'm the things that I'm doing wrong, I'm, you know, fixing them as I go. But it made me realize, dude, that those guys are doing the same shit and we're all dealing with the same problems. I'm on the right path. I totally. just need to believe in myself, have more confidence in what I'm doing, execute faster with more authority, and fucking believe in myself more. Mm-hmm. And, dude, it, it fucking worked. It was a huge accelerator for our business. and. That's what I think a big message for hopefully the viewers here is that, dude, you don't need acronyms behind your name. You don't need all this big mumbo jumbo to know business. Business is actually very simple. It's difficult. It's hard as fuck, but it's very simple. Mm -hmm. You just have to do what you think is right. The things that end up being wrong, analyze it, fix it, redo it. That's literally all it is. You have to Um, start. Yeah, you just need to start. start. You yeah. just need to start, man. Totally. That's the toughest part. That's crazy. So so, so now your current business, um, just to kind of go in a little more detail, what, what's, your, what's your day-to-day like or what's your business model? What's it grown into? Um, yeah, so now it's, it's, it's called Industry Threadworks. Um, basically, what we do is we manage the production process for other apparel brands and other, basically any business that wants to get apparel done. Because if you guys have done apparel before, I'm sure you've, you've uh, been faced with the same problems. You're like, it shows up late. It shows up the wrong size, the wrong color, the wrong location. Mm -hmm. There's just all kinds of problems that go into it. And the reason is that the the brands and the creative side of the brands don't speak the same language that the print shops need to actually produce that garment. So what we do is we're a translator between the creative side of what the brands need and then the actual language that the print shop speaks to produce that garment. Mm -hmm. So we act as a mediary and we have our own embedded QC element within the print shop to make sure that like what, what they produce is actually what our clients want. And we just manage the relationship that's built out into a you know, pretty robust fulfillment capability. Uh, we have fully embedded customer service where we match the language of our clients. Like to basically what we try to do is be completely in the background so that when our clients, customers reach out, they don't know that it's us. They don't know that it's us responding to customer service. They don't know that it's us shipping everything out. We even put our customers or our clients' uh, labels on the packing slip. So the only way any of our clients' customers will know that it's us behind them is if they Google the address on the packing slip. Yeah. So we try to be as transparent as possible because it's super important for the customer's experience to be congruent from the language that they use on Instagram and the branding that they're using there to the product that they get, the branding on the packaging, the customer service experience, um, the follow-through, everything totally. like that. So we, we basically built a pretty robust infrastructure system, and we allow our clients to access that and get really good quality across the board without having to build it themselves. Is it kind of like a like a white labeling on steroids? Basically, what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like white labeling kind of downplays what you, yeah. you're doing a lot. Well, we, we pay a lot of attention to the details because there are other other uh, entities that kind of do what we do. But I approached it from 
a brand standpoint, having been, you know, a apparel brand owner, I realized how important it is for these, these, these key things to match mm-hmm. the language, to have this, your label on the packing slip. Like these are very key things that, that it's important for the consumer to feel connected to the brand in order yep. for the brand to scale and survive and succeed. So we do, I, I call it private label more than white label because mm. white label is very, there's a lot of dudes that do white label and it's very basic. Like, yeah, we'll produce your stuff and we'll ship it out. And Turn it's and like, burn. Yeah, it's some random shitty t-shirt and some random stuff and no no neck label in there. And it's not folded and it's not bagged and it arrives in like some shitty Tyvek envelope. And you're like, <laughs> great, I got the shirt. But like you don't feel connected to the brand. It's yeah. not a very good experience. So for us, recognizing the power of branding and the human experience being connected to that brand, we do everything we can to make sure that, that our clients have maintained that connection with their consumer base. That's cool. We just do it a lot more detailed than... I didn't know that. I dig it. Well, dude, we, yeah, it's weird. We've never run ads. In fact, we just started doing ads like four days ago. So does the majority come from referrals? Yeah. Um, most people don't know what we do and we've barely been able to keep up with growth just from, um, word of mouth because when you're in a apparel line, people always ask you like, Oh, who do you get your apparel done through? Cause everybody sucks at it. So all mm-hmm. these businesses are so frustrated dealing with, with print shops directly they go to the apparel lines like, oh, you guys are doing this. How do you do it? And so we produce for a lot of the lines. So they're like, oh, it's our, it's our bros at Industry Threadworks. Like, so then we get that connection. We, our whole goal is understanding that our clients are not in the apparel world, right? So like they, they might have apparel, but their business is usually something else, something completely different. So what we try to do is realize that and not bog them down with stuff. And to do one or two emails, get them what they need, exactly sure. what they want, and it's done. So they're back on their way um, dealing with their primary business and growing that. So we just mm. try to eliminate all the headaches. Um, one of the best things we have going for us is that everyone else in the space absolutely fucking sucks. They're so <laughs> terrible. So like, so for us to come in and like just get them what they want at, at, on time, on target, with like the quality they're looking for is like everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's fortunate for us that everyone sucks so bad. Cause we like look like we're freaking awesome by comparison. Yeah. Um, but do we, we still, you know, fuck things up. Yeah. Occasion. But that's a, that's a overlooked competitive advantage. If, you, if the rest of the industry sucks yeah. and you're, you're good at it, yeah. that's a value. Well, the key thing too, like we, we make things right and we do screw things up. Like yeah. last year, not last year, but the year before, dude, we spent $24,000, just reprinting, just fixing things that we fucked up. Sometimes it wasn't even our fault, but it's our responsibility. To totally. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, 600 unit order. The Pantone color is off one shade. <laughs> you know what? No problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No it's problem. a big deal. Yeah. Little details are the biggest. Dude, I, yeah, I do. I do have one final, uh, another question before we start wrapping this up. How in, we've been talking about this entire time about uh, having like the vision of where you want to go and how important yeah. that is. You can work backwards. How important is visualization to you? You know, I, I'm i not that good at it. Well, here's the thing. I don't think I'm that good at it, but then I talk to other people who are actually doing it, and I realize that I, it's just what I do every day. Mm-hmm. And so these little processes that I have in my own mind, um, I'm just already doing it because I literally do nothing else. Like aside from business, 
I'm boring as hell. Like I don't do anything <laughs> else. Like, and that's why like, my wife is like, dude, we go home and, and she works with me all day and we go home and I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? She's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, we're just going to watch TV and veg out for like two hours. Don't talk to me about business. Like, okay. Sorry, honey. So, um, I think for me, I, I have to force myself not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have to communicate and I have to find for me that, that work-life balance of like, how do I maintain a relationship with my wife and, and keep her happy without like overloading her and burning her out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everybody has to find that, that, you know, balance, but like my balance is not the average person's balance. Yeah. Um, so I think you just got to find what, what works for you, but there's so many different, there's so many different ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's so much info out there on like morning routines and visualization um, but you honestly just try everything. Yeah. Try everything and mm-hmm. then and find what works for you. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So we always we always like land the plane, so to speak, with a similar question. I think this is a good one for you. Is if there's someone out, if there's people listening right now who are currently in the weeds, mm-hmm. like in the startup phase, you know, getting things going with their business or whatever they define as success, what would be your words of advice to them? Trust yourself. Yeah. I'm me doing what I'm doing is no different than 99% of the people out there doing what they're doing. Um, the only thing I have that I do maybe a little bit better than most people is I have self-awareness to know when I'm wrong and I'm wrong a lot, mm-hmm. but I, I adjust, I figure out why I'm wrong. I recorrect and I retry. So we're able to execute on a ton of different things, you know, 10 different things. Two of them might work. Then we'll move forward on those and then find that one works. Mm-hmm. So we just, without ego, just remove everything else that doesn't mm-hmm. work and move forward with that one thing. So I think really, if you can just trust yourself more, go out there, take the first steps, start executing, realize that it's not going to be perfect. Like you're going to go out and make mistakes. So don't expect to go out there and hit a home run mm-hmm. right out of the gate. Go up there and you're going to have a couple, a couple strikeouts, but get up there, keep going at bat, get something going. If it, misses analyze why it missed fix what you can and then relaunch that's totally. literally all businesses yeah dude more than once we've said it on here don't go for the home run when a base hit will get your just team the win yeah. singles base hits singles. man stay on base stay at bat yeah. everybody's just striking out trying to go for that grand slam or home run like, everybody sees these unicorns on instagram <laughs> yeah man jobs. like there's so, so many horror stories about steve's job being a horrible leader and uh-huh. a dickhead like yeah, he's total exactly. visionary you know what i mean but he probably would have been a lot better had he really understood people maybe a little more and yeah. more, a little more empathetic. Um, not that I'm fucking Steve Jobs, what I mean, but I think a lot of people think they're that unicorn and think like, oh, I'm Steve Jobs. I'm just coming in there and wreck shop. It's my way, the highway. And like, dude, people don't work like that. Yeah. Even, even you're working with other companies. Other companies don't want to deal with you if you're like that. So I, I think it's a matter of self-awareness. Totally. That's rad, man. Well, this was awesome. Yeah, definitely. this is great, dude. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it's not it's not gonna be the last time we talk. So, dude, absolutely. We gotta get beer sometime, man. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm more of a white claw guy, but uh, there we go. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I'll drink a beer. Perfect. Thank awesome. You, <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, man.